How many of you have some really close friends that you've been friends with for like 20 years, 30 years? Anybody got like just long time, 50 years? I've got, I've got friends that I've known pretty much since I was in diapers. They've been just family friends you've grown up with. It's great to have friends that are just that kind of closeness. You can just be, you know, a total idiot around. There's no judgment, that sort of a thing. Isn't that great to have friends like that? There were two good friends that served as religious leaders in the same community. One was a Catholic priest, the other was a Jewish rabbi. Well, one day at their community July 4th picnic, they met up together at the food table, and of course the usual banter happened, and the Catholic priest is kind of chiding his Jewish friend saying, oh, you got to try this baked ham, man. This is so good. I don't know how you could ever refuse this. I know, you know, your religion forbids it, but I can't understand how something so good can be restricted. When are you going to just break down and have some of this ham? And the Jewish rabbi looked at his friend, the Catholic priest, and said, uh, how about at your wedding? All right. It's good to have friends like that, isn't it? Well, listen, the Bible tells us that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18, verse 24. We know, of course, that that's speaking of Jesus Christ. And I love reading all through the Gospels where we see Jesus doing just that, being a friend of sinners, reaching out to people where sometimes the religious leaders were the ones looking down on other people and kind of keeping people away. These religious leaders that should have been opening the way of God to people, and yet they were restricting. And Jesus comes along, and he begins to show love and and grace and be a friend to sinners, to the outcasts, to the, the ones that were pushed aside. And we get that from uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 34, that says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, Look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, Jesus is quoting that from what the religious leaders, the Pharisees and such, were saying. Jesus is quoting them because this was their attitude. Oh, look at this guy, Jesus. How can he really be of God? He's, he's just a glutton. He's just eating with whoever. He's joining with tax collectors who they saw as traitors, as crooks. He's eating with sinners. He's being a friend. And, and they were judging all of this. But I love that as we go through the Gospels, we see Jesus time and time again reaching out to the marginalized, the ones that were discouraged and down. He's hanging out with the people that were overlooked and considered dirty by the religious establishment. So I want to take a, a bit of time here this morning with all of you to take a look at a couple accounts of Jesus being a friend to sinners. So again, make your way to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 27. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And here's what we read. It says here, after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, Jesus, right at the onset of his ministry, began to establish and set in motion the mission that he had. It wasn't to come to those that had it all together. He came to those that didn't. 
that were broken, that recognized their sinfulness. He was truly a friend of sinners. And he wasn't just a friend to sinners. He's a friend to all. Amen to that? So let's go back to Luke chapter 7 now. And like I said, we're going to look at a couple accounts here today of Jesus living out this example. Now, there's a Pharisee that invites Jesus to his house to come and have a, a, a bit of, you know, lunch and fellowship together. But now, remember, the passage just before Luke 7, verse 36, earlier in chapter 7, it's the Pharisees that are complaining and criticizing Jesus. And Jesus has just finished kind of mildly rebuking them for their attitudes towards people like that. Now, if I were Jesus getting invited to one of those guys' house, I'd have been like thinking, uh, no, that's going to be a little bit awkward. I just rebuked them. I put them in their place. Now he's inviting me over. Or maybe if I were Jesus, I'd be thinking, listen, you need to go home and think about what I've just told you. And you need to get things right before I'm going to have anything to do with you. Though the religious establishment has kind of rejected the will of God, Jesus, however, is not rejecting them. Jesus willingly goes. It's the Pharisees, the religious leaders giving him all the problems, but yet he goes. And it becomes a great opportunity for Jesus here in his home to reveal the heart he has for sinners. So continue on, Luke 7, verse 36. Hopefully you're there with me, we read this. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. Now, very interesting scene. You see, in this day and culture, whenever a person of importance came into a town or, or into a home, the house became basically opened up for everybody in that area to come and sort of observe what was going on, what was being said. Jesus perhaps was just there in the town speaking in the synagogue. Maybe the Pharisees were there and, and now he invites Jesus over and now everybody's kind of getting to know about this Jesus. They're hearing all these great things about him and suddenly they hear, oh, he's going to Simon's house? Well, let's all gather around. Let's hear what Jesus is going to say. So it opened up the room now for people to kind of gather around, maybe sitting outside, peering through the window, watching the meet, hearing what Jesus is going to say. But then we see this woman who comes in now. And she goes in, and this is a, a bold step that this woman is taking because now notice she's identified as a sinner. Some have speculated what it was that caused her to be labeled that way. Most likely, she was a prostitute. And though a person's home would be opened up whenever an important person was there visiting, a person like this would never have been welcomed in. And yet, here she comes now with great boldness, and she comes and approaches Jesus. I'm sure she knew what kind of response you'd get from the religious leaders, and in case you don't know, it wouldn't have been a very good one, no doubt about that. But more so, she knew what kind of response she was going to get and receive from Jesus, the friend of sinners. So she comes in, 
And it says that she has with her this alabaster flask of oil. Now that was a common accessory for a prostitute to have, but also very common in this day, just generally for anybody to walk around carrying this around their necks is kind of a deodorizing agent of sort. You see, you didn't have your degree always fresh stick with you handy, so you'd walk around with this kind of nice fragrant oil that you could just kind of use at any time, which probably would be very helpful right now for some of you in the stand seating close together. But that's, anyways, besides the point, but... This woman, notice what we read there, it says that she came and stood at his feet behind him. Now that seems kind of odd because it says that Jesus came and he sat at the table. So what's happening here? Is this woman kind of like crawling under the table now? Kind of pushing some chairs aside to get to the feet of Jesus? Well, remember in this day, they would recline the table. So they would sit down kind of on their elbow, laying down at the table. And they would lay down and just kind of eat the food with their feet out from which was a very wise thing to do in that day when you've got dirty feet, sandals, walking through dirty roads. You get those things far away from the food as possible. So they're laying down the table, and so this woman comes and stands at the feet of Jesus now. She comes and spots where he is, and comes up behind him, and, and she's overcome with emotion. It says that she starts weeping, washing his feet with her tears. There's no towel, so what does she do? She lets down her hair and begins to clean his feet. Now, for a woman to do that, she's already got a bad label, but for a woman now, in public, to let down their hair like that was just kind of a shameful thing to do. Uh, A woman could be divorced for doing such a thing. It was a shameful act to do, and yet this woman isn't caring about public, uh, you know, uh, appearances. She's caring about ministering to her Savior, to her Lord. She lets down her hair. She's been touched by Jesus Christ. And she doesn't care what others might say about her or think about her. She's not worried about public opinion. She's caring about the one who has so radically changed her life. And then finally, she breaks open this flask and anoints his feet with this fragrant oil. Now again, normally, this oil would be used Uh, upon a person's head and it was costly this was very expensive it's almost as though she's saying this perfume this this oil is is not even good enough for my head but yet deserves to be poured upon his feet the best perfume for my head is only good enough for the feet of jesus you see this woman is absolutely demonstrating here a completely changed life a completely changed life. We're not sure how that happened. We, we can assume that she's had a previous encounter with Jesus. Maybe Jesus has reached out to her with grace and, and shown that forgiveness to her as he's done so many times. And now this woman is coming with just this extravagant gift in awe of this one that's made her clean and accepted her with this love and grace. So getting back to Luke 7, we see that Simon, the Pharisee that invited Jesus is witnessing all this going down. And what happens? As we read in in Luke 7, verse 39, go back there, this Simon, this Pharisee, begins to see all this, and he begins to judge all this in a very, you know, judgmental, unrighteous way. It says in verse 39, that when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, this man, if you were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. So again, the the religious leaders, they pushed people like that aside. 
But Jesus is not doing so. He's thinking within himself, how could this man, if he calls himself the son of God, this, this savior of the world, how could he let some of this come in and do this to him? But again, as we saw, it's not for those that are clean and well that Jesus came. He came for those that are sick. He came for the sinners. He's a, a friend of sinners. So I like this. This man starts kind of condemning Jesus internally. And then Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He just knows exactly what Simon is thinking because he's God after all, right? Nothing's hidden before God. And Jesus just kind of calls him out on this. And it says in verse 40, Jesus answered and said to him, Hey, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. Now that's kind of a scary thing when Jesus says, Hey, I got something to say to you. You're like, Oh boy, I probably need to sit down for this, don't I? But Jesus says in verse 41, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Well, Simon answered and said, uh, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Now, this is interesting. It's a great question that Jesus asked. Anytime that Jesus comes with a, a question or a statement like that, you know people are kind of stopped in the tracks thinking, I don't know how I'm going to answer this rightly. I know whatever answer I give is probably not going to be the right answer. Jesus loved to kind of do that sometimes. But Simon here is getting to realize all this. And he, and he says, well, which one is going to love the person that was forgiven more? Who's going to love him more? Well, he says, I suppose the one that was forgiven more. It's kind of like, Simon, duh. It's obvious Like answer that with a bit more assurance or confidence here, right? He's just kind of going, oh, I suppose it's that one. Absolutely. But then it goes on to say in verse 44 that Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, Jesus puts it out there now for those that were gathered around at this time of uh, a breaking bread of a fellowship he says simon you show no love no appreciation for who i am not that jesus was looking to be doted on jesus isn't looking for a spa treatment here coming to simon's house but simon did nothing for jesus all he did was have a bad attitude for what was going on with this woman and jesus is simply revealing the attitude in simon's heart in comparison to what this woman was feeling and the difference was in the way that they both viewed themselves the way that they both viewed themselves how did simon view himself simon viewed himself as altogether i'm a religious leader i'm the one that knows the word of god i'm the one that's living pure I'm the one that's living righteous. That's how Simon viewed himself. How did the woman that came to Jesus view herself? A wretched sinner, undeserving of anything. 
That's what she's been told. That's how she's been perceived all through her life. But you see, though this woman saw herself as unclean, unworthy, unaccepted, Jesus saw in her or gave her acceptance and worth and forgiveness. And her life has been completely flipped around in and through Jesus Christ. Simon couldn't see his need for Jesus. This woman couldn't see her life without Jesus. That was the difference there. So Jesus proclaims her sins, which are many, are forgiven. This is in the past tense, meaning it's implying that her sins, though they're many, they're already forgiven. There's no hoops that this woman had to jump through. It's been given to her freely in and through Jesus Christ. Her sins, though they're many, they're already forgiven. Jesus showers her with his amazing grace. And this woman, all she could do was seek to shower him with an extravagant gift of worship and love. This extravagant love was connected to Jesus' extravagant forgiveness. This woman came with an extravagant gift because she knows that she's already been given such incredible, wonderful grace and love. Simon, through his own self-righteousness, couldn't see his need for Jesus. His love was little, but this woman could only see this undeserving grace that she was shown. Her love was great. Listen, if you ever feel your love for the Lord lacking, perhaps you've forgotten what a wretch you were. You see, the greater that we see our sin, the greater we see what an incredible debt that Jesus paid on our behalf. Listen, none of us, my friends, deserved that forgiveness or that grace. None of us deserved the salvation that Jesus gave us. Listen, don't ever think that you were an easy save. <laughs> don't ever think that you just had to come to the Lord and say, God, here I am, I know you've been waiting for me because I'm just such a prized possession here. None of us were an easy save. Jesus had to die on the cross, suffer humiliation and shame and, and torture and give himself on the cross for your sin and my sin as much as the murderer, thief, adulterer. There's no difference. We were all simply sinners in need of salvation. There's nothing that separates us from any other person I've been forgiven much. You've been forgiven much. And may our love for Jesus, the friend of sinners, be great. Because Jesus, all through the, the scriptures, shows that heart for the sinner. He would travel to Samaria when it was not appropriate to do so, when Jews would typically avoid it, so that he could meet an immoral woman at the well and change her life. He would reach out and touch the leper that was subjected to isolation to reveal his love and compassion for them. He would minister to the despised and the rejected to share his love for every soul. Jesus reached out to these kinds of People, we read in Luke 19, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. Just give me a moment because this story, <laughs> it's a story where Jesus shows grace to a short man. I just, it's beautiful, but it says that Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste 
and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, the religious establishment, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Aren't those sweet words, my friends? He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Jesus desires to come and give you his life for your life. He desires to come and be a guest with you. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus wants to bring us in to fellowship with him. Something we can't do ourselves. We can't clean ourselves up enough. We can't do enough good to say, God, I'm ready now to be received by you. We can only come in and through the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, which he has offered to all as he came as a friend of sinners. Do you believe that here today, my friends? I pray that each and every one of you have received that for yourself. Right to the very last breath of Jesus, he's there on the cross. And he's reaching out with grace to many. When the criminal beside him says, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus didn't say, listen, my friend, this isn't really a good time for me right now. I wish you'd asked me that maybe a few days ago. This is not great right now for me. Jesus says, listen, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus, in the moment of the greatest pain and agony in his life, he's reaching out and drawing people in. Through his whole life in ministry, Jesus showed himself a friend of sinners, and to that I'm ever so grateful. Worship team, I'm going to invite you to come back up here today, and I want to ask you a few things here this morning or this afternoon. How about you? Are you being a friend of sinners? Do we love those that are marginalized and in our society, uh, marginalized in our society and, and unconditionally, without judgment, receiving them as friends? Do we seek to show grace? And the opportunity to be forgiven through Jesus Christ? Because that was the mission that Jesus came on, and it should be ours as well. Hey, secondly, if we are going to reach out and be a friend of sinners, we need to see how great our need was for the friend of sinners. Do you see your need for Jesus today? Do we love much simply because we see that we've been forgiven much? The amount of your love for God increases as you see your need for God, that you, every bit as the most vile, wretched person, needed the grace of God. And he gave it to each and every one of us when we least deserved it. We've been saved, forgiven. We didn't deserve it. But he came and did that. Your love increases the more that you see your unworthiness and the great price he paid for your own forgiveness and I want to ask those here today that perhaps are, are hearing this and feeling like, like you could never be accepted by Jesus. Like you're maybe looking at your life going, Jesus would never take me in. Listen, you don't know what kind of life I've lived. You don't know what kinds of things I've done. There's a lot of people around me that have lived a much sterile life. But for me, oh no, I've, I've crossed that line too much. I've gone too far. Jesus cannot accept me. And if you're here Thinking that today, I need to tell you that you are wrong. Because Jesus came to this world for every single person. And he died on a cross to pay the penalty for sin, knowing that you could not make yourself right with God, no doubt about that. But he came as the only sinless, perfect 
human, fully God yet fully man, to come and take our place on the cross. And when he did that, a great exchange happened. He took all of our sin, no matter how great they were, and he took them upon himself. And the judgment of God was poured out upon Jesus for that sin, yours and mine. And he died because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus rose again to secure life for every person. His sacrifice took, you see. It was accepted by God. He rose again so that now as he takes all of our sin, he can now give us his righteousness. And it's the only way we can be made right with God. It's the only way we can be saved and forgiven is by receiving the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of God. And that is open and available and given to all. But here's what you need to do. You need to admit you're a sinner. And we've all been there. And we still struggle with sin. None of us are perfect. But we're thankful for the forgiveness. As Jesus said to the woman, your sins, though many, are already forgiven. If you admit your sin and you put your trust in Jesus, you believe that he died for you and rose again, and you receive that gift of salvation and forgiveness, you become a child of God. You become a born-again believer, saved, forgiven, and given the gift of eternal life. If you are here this morning, or this afternoon, I should say, and you don't know that for yourself, maybe you've been just kind of going with the motions, maybe you've been going to church for a long time, but you've been thinking, it's just a matter of me living a good life. It's just a matter of me doing good, and you've never understood your depravity, your sinfulness, and your need for a Savior. Today's the day to give your life to Jesus. Today's the day to say, I want to become a new creation. I want to become forgiven and saved, accepted in Jesus Christ, and given eternal life, the reward of eternity in heaven with Jesus.